0: During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Have you ever wondered why if there's just one God, one Bible, and one Holy Spirit, why there are so many different churches in our world today and so many different versions of the truth? Many years ago... Paul gave a message that answers these questions. You see, while he was in Miletus, Paul gave a message to the elders of the church there that God had placed on his heart and it concerned the future of the church. Paul knew that a departure from God's word was coming and he was deeply concerned. Notice with me what the Bible says in Acts 20, verses 27 and 30. 30. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, the elders here in the church, they were responsible for the teaching of God's word. And so Paul looks them in the eye and he says to them, persecution is coming. Be sure that your faith and the faith of the church is solid and founded on Jesus Christ. Because from within your midst, Paul says, within your midst, professing Christians will speak Perverse things. The traditions and teachings of men will replace the teachings of the Bible. So beware, Paul said. And so today, you and I can actually read the history, read this as history rather, in the book of Revelation. In Revelation's four horsemen, we see that God has revealed the future of Christianity. The four horsemen represent four successive ages or stages in the history of Christianity. They're described as the opening of seals, starting in John's day. Notice with me Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures, that's a heavenly being saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see the lamb opens the seals and the lamb we know is Jesus. If Jesus is going to open the seals of history and explain to us what the future holds for his church, I don't know about you, but I want to hear what Jesus has to say. God invites us to come and see. And what do we see? Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. In ancient Rome, a white horse always indicated victory. In fact, victorious generals returning back to Rome after they had conquered in a battle always came back in riding on a white horse because white was a symbol of victory. But not only that, White is also a symbol of purity. And this is the perfect picture of the early church. The New Testament church had pure doctrines and they didn't depart from God's word. In fact, as the disciples preached, the early church marched on in the world like a victorious Roman general riding on a white horse. The church of the white horse period was a powerful and they had a pure faith. This period lasted in history from about 31 AD right through to about 100 AD. Notice Acts 5 verse 14. It says there, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. This is so exciting. Thousands were baptized into Jesus and his church in this period. The Holy Spirit moved powerfully. Nothing could stop the progress of Christianity in the first century. When Christians go out armed with the word of God, with the love of God in their hearts and filled with the Holy Spirit, the gospel penetrates the world. When we don't compromise the truth in our lives, the gospel goes very powerfully. And Satan trembled. What could he do? Well, the second seal opens and John sees a red horse representing a blood-stained faith. Satan viciously attacked God's church from about 100 AD right to about 313 AD. Revelation 6 verse 4 says, Another horse, Fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. Jesus said that he is the prince of peace. Satan is the complete opposite of Christ. In this period, Christians were persecuted and burnt at the stake. It was a horrific time of persecution in the Christian church. Thousands of Christians experienced terrible martyrdom. They were mauled to death by wild beasts in stadiums. They were set alight on crosses that lined the streets of Rome to light it by night. Tertullian said this the oftener we are mown down by you the more in number we grow the blood of christians is seed eusebius an early church christian historian he said this Immediately when sentence had been pronounced on one group, another party came before the tribunal, acknowledging themselves and as acknowledging themselves Christians rather and remaining unmoved before dangers and torments of all kinds. They sang hymns and offered thanksgiving to God of all until their last breath. The devil thought that he could stop the church by fierce persecution. But instead, the church continued to grow and it grew even faster. So Satan changed his strategy again. The third seal opens and we see a period of faith that is compromised. Satan says, what I can't accomplish through persecution, I'll accomplish through compromise and I'll bring into the church pagan practices. Revelation chapter six, verse five says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see, come and see what? Come and see the compromise. So I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. The church was weighed in the balances and found wanting at this time. The church now drifts far from God's word and God's truth. In the 4th and 5th centuries, we find that Satan's strategy was to introduce compromise into the church. And how did he do this? Well, a brief look at history shows us that Satan led the church to adopt pagan practices. This is exactly what Paul had warned would happen in the future of the church. He said that from within the church Contrary doctrines would be taught and paganism would be mixed with Christianity. History and prophecy now collide to show us that this period lasts from about 313 AD to 538 AD. In fact, notice with me what Daniel chapter 8 verse 12 says. It says, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. What Paul predicted, Revelation reveals and Daniel confirms. During this period, truth was cast to the ground. The church grew into a large ecclesiastical bureaucratic institution and the simple faith of the scriptures was lost sight of and it was compromised for the dogmas of the church, the teachings of men. Replace the teachings of God. And in an attempt to make, or rather to reach the pagan, the church leaders compromised biblical faith to make Christianity more appealing or palatable to pagans. These are well-known facts of Christian history. In the book Development of Christian Doctrine, there's a quote on page 372 and it says this, We are told by Eusebius, and we know he's an early church historian, that Constantine, who was an early Roman emperor who became a Christian, I'm putting this in brackets, that Constantine, in order to recommend the new religion, that's Christianity, to the heathen, he transferred into it the outward ornaments to which they had been accustomed in their own. There was a departure from the word of God. Paganism was introduced into the Christian church under the name of Christianity. Salvation through Christ was replaced by the requirements of the church. Daniel 7 verse 25 says that during this period of compromise, the church-state union would also think to change times and laws. Pagans were used to worshipping idols, But God's law, we know in the Ten Commandments, the second one expressly says, you shall not make any graven image to bow down to, any carved image to bow down to. So when the church and state united in the fourth and fifth centuries, Christian leaders desiring to make Christianity more acceptable to pagans did this. Since pagans were used to worshipping gods like Venus and Zeus and others, Christian leaders came along They changed the names of these gods. They called them things like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and so on. And they brought these statues into the church. Images and idols flooded into the Christian church. They were purchased with money, often consecrated with supposed holy water, and people believed that they had special power. Just like the pagans believed that the images they had worshipped in paganism, they came to them from heaven with special power. That's what they believed. As you can see, Satan was gradually leading people to worship through idols instead of worshiping Jesus directly. Also during this period of Christian history, God's seventh day Sabbath was substituted for the day of the sun or Sunday contrary to the teaching of Scripture. The Sabbath, as we know, and we've studied together, it spoke of God as our Creator, the Creator of all the universe, and it was substituted for a day in honor of an object of creation. Satan was seeking also to take people's minds off the Creator. The Apostolic Creed, Book 7, Section 2, it's one of the earliest ones that we have. It says this, O Lord Almighty, Thou hast created the world by Jesus Christ. And notice this. And hath appointed the Sabbath in memory thereof. Wanting to weaken the church. You and I can see that Satan was bringing compromise into it. And he introduces Sunday worship at this time. The Bible says in Exodus 20 verses 8 and 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. As we've said before, if you want a Sabbath blessing, you need to go where God put it. He put it on the seventh day and every Sabbath you and I can experience the blessing that comes from worshiping the living God. John 14:15 Jesus says if you love me keep my commandments In the history of the Christian church page 184. It says this, the retention of the old pagan name of Deus Solis brackets, that's the day of the sun for Sunday, is in a great measure owing to the union of pagan and Christian sentiment with which the first day of the week was recommended by Constantine to his subjects, pagan and Christian alike, as the venerable day of the sun. All friends, the The Apostle Paul, he had predicted that this compromise would come. The church and state leaders would unite during this period of Christian history and they would remain united through until the next phase also. The opening of the fourth seal reveals a pale horse indicating a dead faith. Notice with me Revelation chapter 6 verse 8. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Listen to this quotation from a book called Church History. It's volume 2, chapter 2, section number 7. Christianity became an established religion in the Roman Empire and took the place of paganism. Christianity, as it existed in the Dark Ages, might be termed baptized paganism. Wow. I don't know about you, but as you're listening to the history of the Christian church, it just seems to be going down, 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 and it makes us wonder, would the truth of God ever be restored again? I have good news for you. Before the end of time, the Bible tells us that God promises to restore his truth again. But God couldn't do it all at once. He couldn't restore all the truth in one go for the same reason why when you come out of a dark room into the direct sunlight, it blinds you. And so as the church had taken over 400 years from 100 AD right down to 538 AD to slide into the pale horse period of the dark ages, so with time and not just in one or two generations, God began to shine the light of his truth upon his people to gradually bring them to the complete restoration of his truth. Many men and women during the dark ages of this world's history, they began to turn from the superstitions and traditions of the church to the study of God's word. Many men and women of God during the dark ages were persecuted as they began to turn from the superstitions and traditions of the church to the study of God's word. And they died cruel deaths. God raised up men and women, though, who would resist compromise. Instead of following the human traditions, they wanted to follow God. Instead of penances, they wanted the grace of Christ. Instead of indulgences, which is the buying of salvation, they wanted the cross of Christ on Calvary. Instead of idols, they wanted to worship Jesus directly. Instead of church hierarchy, they wanted and accepted the authority of God's word. Instead of human dogmas, they wanted direct instruction from God's word as the Holy Spirit led them and guided them. In the 13th and 14th centuries, God began to raise up a movement that loved his truth. Notice what the Bible says in Jude verse 3. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. These early reformers began to contend for the faith. They began to read the scriptures and they even copied it out by hand, committing it to memory, translating it into the native tongue of the people. The Bible says in John 8 verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. One of the first groups who did this were the Bible-believing Waldensians, who fled to the mountains of Italy and France. I've actually visited the places where they lived, and I've even stood in caves where they have worshipped. They worshipped in caves to escape persecution. Thousands of them died for believing in the Bible. And today, we stand very much so on the shoulders of the Waldensians, because in a sense, I'm a Waldensian too, and that I believe in the Bible and the Bible only. God was restoring truth. He was leading his people gradually and gently out of darkness. God's goal was to restore the total truth of his word for an end time movement that would span the whole world. The Waldensians, though, they didn't understand all the truth at that time. And so God raised up a Czech reformer by the name of Jan Hus or John Hus. He believed that obedience to God should be practiced over and above obedience to all others. And the church at the time, they tried to stop him. They tried to intimidate him, but he wouldn't budge. As a result, Hus was burnt at the stake. But before they burnt him, listen to what the prelate said. They said, now we devote thy soul to the devil. But Hus said with his eyes lifted and looking to heaven, he said, I commit my spirit into thy hands, O Lord Jesus, for thou hast redeemed me. Isn't that amazing? You see, Hus didn't understand all the truth either. But the truth that he did understand, we owe it to him. We are indebted to reformers like him for taking a stand for it. Because obedience to God should be the motto of every Christian. A Catholic monk named Martin Luther, he began to study God's word also. And as he studied more deeply, he became deeply convicted and also actually deeply troubled. Luther went to Rome and when he was there, he saw Pilate's staircase where tradition has it that it's not reality, but this is what the tradition said, that these stairs had been supernaturally carried to Rome where they were supposedly the same stairs that Jesus had climbed up before he was tried by Pilate. Luther saw people climbing this staircase and as they were climbing on their knees, he looked around, he saw they were buying images and idols. He saw them trying to pay in for indulgences to secure their salvation. And a verse from the book of Romans, it flashed in front of his mind and it said this, Romans one seventeen that just shall live by faith. And it dawned on him that salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone. When Luther went back to Wittenberg, Johann Tetzel was there selling indulgences. And I mentioned this before. What is an indulgence? An indulgence was a piece of paper issued by Rome, sold at the time to make money for the building of St. Peter's Cathedral. You see, in the teachings of the Roman church, there was supposedly a heaven or a hell that you went to immediately after you died, uh, because, of course, they taught the immortality of the soul. But as you and I have studied God's word, we see that the Bible teaches us clearly that when a person dies, the dead know nothing. That's Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5. The Bible teaches us that death is asleep until the coming of Jesus. And so indulgences, rather, on the other hand, they implied that we have immortal souls. It said, well, if you're not good enough for heaven or bad enough for hell, you can go to an intermediate place called purgatory where you will burn and. Until your sins are purged so that you can go to heaven. Tetzel was telling people that they could purchase a piece of paper to get them out of purgatory. And Luther was so stirred by this that he nailed 95 reasons why grace is free and why salvation cannot be purchased to a church door in Wittenberg. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Luther didn't understand everything about God's word, but God was leading his people one by one to develop a platform of truth. And this explains, if you think about it, why there are so many different denominations today. Because you see, the Waldensians said, if our forefathers fathers believe this, we will accept this truth and that's all. But they didn't keep moving on. And then the Hussites came along and they said, we believe obedience to God is our motto, but they didn't keep going on and moving on like they could have to understand the development of truth. Then the Lutherans built on the faith of Luther's findings, but they stopped with Luther also. And so each church only went as far as its founder. But Proverbs 4 verse 18 says this, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever, ever brighter unto the perfect day. The higher the sun rises, the brighter the day gets. And so too, as it took 500 years for the church to go from the purity of faith in the apostolic church to the period of spiritual darkness in the dark ages, it took time for God's faithful followers to grasp the truth lost sight of down through time. John Calvin didn't understand everything either. But he came along and he said, if we're going to be Christians, we need to grow in grace. He taught the importance of coming to and growing in Christ. But Calvinists, they didn't understand about Bible baptism. And so God raised up the Anabaptists to recognize this as an important teaching of Jesus. Remember what the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he recognized that Christians should be different from the world and they should have higher standards. This is what God taught him as he studied God's word. And so you have this progression happening. You've got the Waldensians who taught the importance of the Bible. The Hussites who came along and said that obedience to God is important. Then you've got Luther who discovered the beauty of God's amazing grace. Calvin who taught the Bible principle of growth in Christ. And then the Anabaptists who discovered the importance of Bible baptism. And Wesley who emphasizes the importance of holy living. What if... All of these truths could be blended together in a movement. Does God have a last day movement that brings together these truths? Well, in the 1800s, God raised up a Baptist farmer by the name of William Miller, who began to preach and to emphasize the soon coming of Jesus. At the time, the Christian church believed that Christ's coming wouldn't be for a thousand years until there was first a millennium of peace on the earth. And Miller set a date for the coming of Jesus in 1844 because like Luther, Calvin and Huss, he didn't understand all truth either. Had he understood the fullness of scripture, Miller would have understood that Daniel 8 and verse 14's cleansing of the sanctuary didn't refer to this earth, but it pointed to the sanctuary in heaven. Nevertheless, he understood that Jesus was coming soon and he helped to mobilize a movement made up of men and women from all denominations and it swept the world. But there was still another truth that was compromised in Christian history, remember? Would God have an end time Sabbath keeping Advent movement to prepare the world as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. The Bible teaches that God's end time people would build on the shoulders of all the reformers that went before them and they would keep God's seventh day Sabbath. But don't just take my word for it. Notice what God's word says. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon, Satan, was enraged. That means he was angry with the woman. Who's the woman? The church. And he went to make war with the rest, or that's another word for remnant of her seed, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wow. The Bible here tells us that God is going to have an end time remnant who will infuriate the devil. He's going to be so angry with them. What is a remnant? Well, it's a sewing word. A remnant is the last piece of cloth on a bolt of cloth that is exactly like the original. That's where the word remain comes from. That means like the early church. God's end time remnant people will not compromise on truth. How can we identify God's end time remnant today? Well, we know that they will be a church, a community of faith, who teach and keep all of God's commandments, including his seventh day Sabbath. And Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 tells us that that testimony of Jesus, it's the spirit of prophecy. Now, Lyle has a whole presentation on this coming up, so stay tuned. But what we can determine from this right here is that God's end time church, it will be a movement that will be passionately preaching Bible prophecy, bringing clarity to, books of, to the books of Daniel and Revelation to the world, sharing what the Bible says about the end in every way that they can. Revelation 14.12 even says that God's end-time church will not only keep his commandments, including his seventh-day Sabbath, because they love him supremely, but it also says that they will believe what Jesus believed. They have the faith of Jesus, and there'll be a global movement announcing the gospel and the soon advent of Jesus Christ. You might ask, why are you a seventh-day Adventist, Sharissa? Is it because you believe that Adventists are the only ones who are going to be saved? And the answer to that is not at all. I believe that God has wonderful Christians in every denomination on the face of the planet today. But I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian today because like the Waldensians, I believe in the Bible and the Bible only. Like Huss, I believe that obedience to God is Matters. It's important. Like Luther, I believe that salvation is by grace and grace alone. I believe, like Calvin, that growth comes as I study God's word. Like the Baptists, I believe that Bible baptism by immersion is biblical and it's important. Like Wesley, I believe that God is calling his people to high and holy standards. Like Miller, I believe in the coming of Jesus with power and glory. And I believe that the seventh day is still God's holy Sabbath too. In the Advent movement, I see all the truths of the Reformers gathered together, not just in another church or a denomination, but in a movement of destiny raised up by God for such a time as this. I see the characteristics of God's end time visible remnant. Now, please note, God has his people following him up to all the truth that they know in every religion and people group on earth. They're God's invisible remnant, as it were. God meets us all where we're at, but God loves us too much to leave us there, and he longs to lead us into the fullness of his truth. John 10, verse 16. Another sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The good and gentle shepherd, he desires to bring all his faithful followers into one fold, his end time remnant people. Jesus said in John seven seventeen, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. I don't know about you, but in my heart, I have a longing to do God's will and to follow Jesus in the fullness of his truth. If you have questions as you are watching this presentation, I encourage you to pray, to get on your knees and say, Lord, I believe what I am hearing is the truth. Please bring deep conviction into my heart. Lord, whatever it takes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow your truth wherever you lead me. It's going to take this kind of commitment at the end of time. But God has an end time movement with this kind of commitment. They will proclaim all of the truths of his word in all the world to complete the commission that he gave to the early church Today, Jesus is inviting you to step out and say, Lord, I want to follow you wherever your truth leads me. In closing, there's a caterpillar called the processionary caterpillar, and it's famous for following one after the other. And it loves to eat pine needles. Scientists wanted to test how strong their drive was to follow one another. This is how they did it. They took a pot, they put all these... Uh, processionary caterpillars around the rim of the pot and they filled the pot with pine needles and they were sure that at some point one of those caterpillars would break rank and go for the pine needles but to their surprise those caterpillars just kept going around the rim of that pot until one by one they died why because they couldn't break rank I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian today because the Seventh-day Adventist Church is teaching all the teachings of God's truth that we've been studying together in this series. If the Seventh-day Adventist Church wasn't teaching what the Bible says, I'd be the first to leave it. I would go and join another church. But this is the only church that I have found that matches up with all of the identifying characteristics of God's end time remnant people as we have seen in the book of Revelation. If you ever find another church that fits those characteristics better, that they're keeping all of God's commandments and they're proclaiming the full gospel and the truth about what happens when you die to the world, then let me know. But as far as I am concerned, this is the only church that I have found that matches up with those characteristics. And so right now I want to make an invitation to you to take a stand for Jesus and to say, I want to become a part of God's anti-remnant movement, proclaiming the truths of God to the world before Jesus comes. You've heard the teaching of God's word. The good shepherd appeals to you today to follow his truth wherever he leads you. And that is my invitation to you too. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, Thank you for the incredible truths of your word, which teach us with such clarity where we should go to follow Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take the necessary steps to follow him wherever his truth may lead. We love you so much, and we thank you that we can be a part of your end-time community of faith, preparing the world for the soon coming of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.